Hey, it's David Warrench. Thanks again for joining me on the Authentic Dad podcast. Today we have a really cool conversation with Brendan James. Brendan is a singer-songwriter. Him and his wife in 2018 took their two young kids on like a six-month journey across the world. And in that time, he wrote an album and the album came out recently. I'll put it in the show notes. It really is a wonderful album. He was a wonderful guy. We talk about um, marriage, fatherhood, being an artist in the context of marriage and fatherhood and travel and his influences. And I really enjoyed um, talking to him. He was very generous and open with his time. And so I hope you really enjoyed that. Please stick around. Further.coach, that's my website, F-U-R-T-H-U-R.coach. Um, reach out, say hey, feedback. Maybe you know someone who wants to be a guest. I do offer a free 30-minute discovery call for coaching services. Um, I coach fathers and non-fathers. And if you're interested in that, I would love to hear from you. I hope you all are safe and well and healthy. And please enjoy this conversation. Okay, I'm here with Brendan James. He is an American singer-songwriter in the pop folk genre akin to David Gray, Jason Mraz, and Elton John. He was signed to Capitol Records at age 25, Universal at 28, he's reached the number one spot on iTunes multiple times, accrued more than 1 million fans in 65 countries on Spotify, has been played on multiple formats of American and European radio, collaborated on tour with John Mayer, John Legend, Cat Stevens, Carly Simon, Kev Moe, Andy Grammer. Um, that's kind of amazing. His song's been placed in over 15 major television shows and films worldwide. And uh, he was what I really want to talk about. He took a six-month journey around the globe with his wife and two toddlers. And, you know, I think a lot, and we'll talk about this, a lot of the material from his latest album came from there uh, on the road from a laptop. Brendan James, what's up? Woohoo! Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I, I've always wanted to get a musician and an artist because I'm always interested in the creative process, particularly when you have um, wife and very young children. But before we get there, let's get a little bit about you. Like, where were you born? How did you become a musician? Talk to me. Sure, sure. Uh, I was born in New Hampshire, yeah. um, born and raised, spent the first 18 years there. And, you know, until till the day I die, I will give credit to a music teacher uh, mm -hmm. named Kevin Candle, who, when I was like 17, sort of intervened in my life. Um, with a kind word and, and some time that and he, and he saw something in me musically that I hadn't really seen in myself yet. And he said, you have a really interesting voice and yes, I know you're a deep thinker and you know, you might want to learn an instrument and be able to express some of those thoughts. And I, I think you could do it. And, and just, you know, that intervention was huge. That was until 17, which, you know, you hear these stories of musicians are like, I learned when I was four. Right. No, I was a total late bloomer. Elton John is the piano player he is today because mm -hmm. he, he started at four years old, you know? I mean, so I, I basically saw it like I was experiencing life for the first 17 years and then started to finally put that life into song. And piano, that was the instrument, huh? Yeah, that was the one we had in our house. And that was the one I used to kind of mess around on. I was a horrible piano player, I swear, until the age of like 28. I, mm -hmm. I I was a songwriter, piano player for, for those first few years I was learning, which basically means you're, you're just using it as a vessel to write. Mm -hmm. 
And it wasn't until I did a whole bunch of shows and got in front of crowds for years that I felt like I was okay. I think I'm a piano player now. Yeah, like it, it locked so, in. Maybe, maybe yeah. it's a maybe it's a ten thousand hour rule. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, no. And then you were what twenty five? They signed you to Capitol Records, and I was that was that right? I think I think I read you were working yeah. at Urban Outfitters in in New York yeah. City. And yeah. tell me tell me a little bit about that phase. That sounds really interesting. Well, you know, much to my mother's dismay, I mean, she was supportive, but she had just helped put me through four years of college. I went to UNC Chapel mm-hmm. Hill and, and basically just more than anything, discovered a love of music and songwriting during those four years and moved right to New York City and sort of didn't use my college degree and got yeah. a job folding clothes and met a manager and started the hustle. And three years later, I was still working at that same Urban Outfitters and Capitol Records. Living the musician's life. I'll never forget telling my boss at Capitol. I was like, I, I'm going to quit in three weeks. Um, he's like, why? Why? And I said, well, I'm moving to Hollywood. I, I just, I got a, a major record deal. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, go. It was great having you. So. And that was, I mean, I know, I think now you would have six studio albums. Yeah. And that was the first one. Well, what year was that? That was 05. Huh. And that wasn't even, I didn't, I didn't get an album out in those first two years. Major label politics, or that's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, just, there was like a merger. We don't have to get into that, but it sounded. Yeah, I wouldn't trade the experience for the world. But the but you are, if you're a new artist on a big label, you're at the whim of of whoever the president is and what the mm-hmm. politics are at the label. And that label was in a tumultuous time back mm-hmm. then. So uh, yeah, right, and back then you were a single guy, and now you're a married guy with. What, a two and four-year-old, or are they a little older now? They're older now. They're four and six now. Four and six. So when did you get married? Um, in 09. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, the story of us is crazy that we, we met in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, my best friend owned an, al- uh, an art gallery down there, uh, down here where I am now. Mm-hmm. Beautiful and, city. Yeah. I love Charleston. Um, but... You know, he it was a setup. He was like, Brendan, you're gonna you're gonna fall in love with my new gallery director. I I know it. And I was like, Well, I don't know, Rob. I'm just getting signed to some major label stuff here. I'm gonna live yeah. in Hollywood. I don't think I'm trying to meet the one right now. And of course you have no control over yeah, those things. No control of that timing. So when I twenty five was about the most exciting, challenging, stimulating time of my whole life, you know, trying to figure out how I was gonna carve this path. So your friend was right. I mean, you married her. I married her. That was it. <laughs> married her in four years later. And um, when we were 34, we had our first child. I've just tried to do that balance. I, I yeah. usually tour about four to six months a year um, and make sure I'm just. Yeah, let's talk about that like pre pandemic. What was your life with um, marriage and children and being a working musician? You said you were touring how for four to six months a year? Yeah, sporadically, I end up being gone about five months or so. Um, It's just, you know, it's a a challenge. It's the way I've found out, the way I've found that it works for me is um, not really being on record labels and not really having a huge team around me because you can't, you have, you have to, you know, do what everybody's hoping and thinking when you have a team. And now I have a manager and a press agent and a band and, um, a booking agent and that's it and i have my following so i do a lot of private shows and i do mm-hmm. a lot of clubs and small theaters but it sort of all comes 
through me now. Everybody sort of asks me, hey, can you handle this tour? Hey, can you handle this yeah. show? And that's the only way I've found to be a good father and a good musician is that way. Private sounds increasingly like a nice I don't tell me if I'm wrong like a path for a working musician particularly in a pandemic is that is that something you've kind of how often are you doing that or how often were you doing that as far as that versus clubs dude the private show uh aka living room show is mm. honestly my lifeblood it is I enjoy it the most it provides a lot of my salary and my fulfillment I've been doing them for about five years I've just kind of tried to get a little network together of people oh. who there's several fans you have that want it once a year. So you can kind of say, okay, cool. I'll be back next year with new songs and you just try to give a. I love the idea. Cause certain venues I'll always say, wow, it's like seeing a, seeing a musician in your living room. And literally it yeah. is. My wife used to work with some people that would, they would do private, like classical piano shows. Yeah. I know some comedians will do that. I think it's a wonderful idea. I think there's like companies that, organize these things yep there's all, all kind of like startups now mm -hmm. that are helping get your private show and i started i started early enough where there's a fire truck going by yeah no worries but i started early enough where i have a little circuit on my own and i don't know i'm so grateful for it and i still play venues but you can when it's the private stuff it's all you it's you controlling your career and so yeah. few musicians can do that you know well, well and you're also building your your audience yeah so yeah. when you come into that town hopefully you know like you know this venue or this particular town hopefully are there's are there like um certain cities or towns that you think there's a more of an audience like this is the brendan james city um over, over other ones like where you like i gotta come here because for, for whatever reason um, they love me here you know there, there are, I feel like you'll talk to a lot of musicians and a lot of them will tell you, I'm sure different genres might have different pockets, but there's a, there's a, a sort of a known thing that Chicago, New York, Denver, those places are real music loving cities. The Midwest overall is, is huh. probably the most fervent. I think you've talked to a lot of bands, fervent sort of, um, you know, listenership. Denver. Yeah, I would think, of course, New York. I would also think maybe Austin, Nashville. I don't know. But you would think that, and I'm not mm -hmm. saying the huge bands don't have huge shows in those big cities, right? Mm -hmm. But the mid-level bands, you're not always going to find Austin and Nashville or your highest turnouts because mm -hmm. they can be a little more industry-based. You're probably highest, really saturated, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's, yeah, there's so much live music going on in those towns all the time that I would tell you hands down, I'd love to roll through, you know, Iowa, or I'd love to roll through a oh, small cool. town in Michigan based on, you know, just that you get the real fans, no industry comes and we kind of like it when that happens. What about Atlanta? That... Yeah, Atlanta also, yes, mm -hmm. it's a great pocket. Atlanta and North Carolina for me, um, Charlotte is great. Um, so yeah. so pre-pandemic, I mean, it sounds like you were really grinding it out. Um, I mean, yeah. how off, like how many, when you were on tour, like was it, almost every night in a, in a club no 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 it's when i'm when i'm on tour i'll do like um 14 to 16 days out mm -hmm. and i'll try to do 10 shows in that period of time okay and then i'll come home for a few weeks maybe then i would do like the west coast for 14 or 16 days and then all the private stuff is very sporadic it's like okay i'll tell my wife i need to go do four private shows here next week and then three weeks from that i'll do four private shows here 
so you can kind of sprinkle your year with. And and not to get too personal, like how do you all manage um, marriage and kids during during that time? I know again we're talking about before the pandemic, as far as you know, staying connected, and it must be very hard for an artist <laughs> to, be, to to maintain these these um, family connections. It's it is and. I'm going to just do a big shout out right now, not only to my partner, but to every partner of an artist. Mm-hmm. It, it is an enormous job. And my wife deserves so much credit for how she has handled me and, and handled what I'm trying to achieve with my art. And I, I went to the day I die, I'm going to say that I was able to achieve what I did because of, you know, being supported in a way. And I'll never overlook that. Yeah, which is incredible because unfortunately it seems like a lot of artists can't integrate the creative process within having relationships. I'm not talking about, I'm talking men and women and children because it takes, I'm imagining so much of, I mean, really everything, not just the writing the songs and the creative process, the management. I mean, you really have to be married to to that. Totally. I I would think. It, people, it's so hard to describe what the sacrifice and the time it takes to, and you're doing it because you love it. I'm not saying it's this horrible sacrifice, but right. the time it takes to just create a piece of art and sell it and create more art and make a career out of it is just this, it's a and get, marriage. And get paid for it. And get paid and somehow <laughs> not have another job. You know, I mean, it's, you're exactly right. It's like having another marriage and trying to balance the two, you know, I've, that's been the biggest challenge of my life. And, and finally, I'm like, okay, I think I've done it. I think I'm doing it. Let mm-hmm. me just hold this. Let me hold, me hold this pattern because it's working. But it took a minute. No, and there's so much when you're pre, you know, pre-pandemic, on the road. I would, you know, I think a lot of, um, there's temptations. There's new cities. There's new people. There's a, I think there's a lot of pitfalls. I would think I'm not a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> No, totally, totally there are. And and I don't even mean, I mean, even just to stay grounded in just sort of this other life that you have, this kind of, um, um, what do you call it, domestic life, to stay grounded in that. At the same time, you're playing all these people at night and your kids are at home and that just seems um, like such a dichotomy. It's such two different worlds. And it's not even that I'm, I'm a singer songwriter in like a Mm -hmm. pop folk genre, you know, I'm not partying every night and going crazy, but it is a whole different world being on the road. Our only priority, and it's a big one, but our only priority is to just really nail the show at night. And that entails staying healthy and being able to do five shows a week, but that's all you're thinking about. And so then you have time off on the road and you just want to like totally chill. So you can be a great performer that night and think of how basic that is compared to when you go home the amount of minutiae yeah. and daily challenges you have in home domestic life is just innumerable. It, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's those two worlds are crazy. I, do you, do you, um, I'm a big fan of fish. Do you like, Great, do, you, yeah. do, do, yeah. do you, do you, I don't know if that's your, that's your thing. I just remember listening to an interview once of Trey Anastasio. They played all night new year's 2000 was huge thing in front of 70,000 people. And, it was the most amazing experience of his life. And like the next day, you know, he's goes to like, I don't know, like a new year's party and like the difference uh, with like a few people, he's like, I, it was the weirdest. It was just in front of 70,000 people all night. And he comes to a, 
a New Year's party and he was, I can't articulate it, but he was describing, you know, you're, you're at a club, you, Brendan James, and hopefully you had a great show and then you're home and it's like, I got to take out the trash. It's all about adrenaline. And I, I, it's amazing to me what courses through your veins during a show and after a show. And you'll never get that feeling in, in just a normal domestic day. You'll get other wonderful, fulfilling feelings, right. but you're not going to get this like a literally natural physiological adrenaline rush that makes you feel like everything is perfect. You know, and that's what performers are getting. And it's got to be so exhausting. Um, I know it, it's like, all right, we're playing for an hour or two, two and a half, but just you're all day long and you're preparing for that. You play and then you're up really late and the next day and then you do it again. And um, sometimes I'm in concerts and I'm like watching these artists. I'm like, I don't know how they do it. And then tomorrow night, they're going to do the same thing. And then the next night and that audience, right? They paid for that day, that ticket, that show, maybe be been waiting awesome. to be awesome, maybe waiting for months. And if yeah. you have an off night, which Ugh. happens, right? Oh my gosh. It's like, they it's and it's like a highlight of music such a big part of my life it's like a highlight of my life when i see my favorite artists um, perform and there's nothing like sharing the same space breathing the same air and your favorite artist you know if i had a nickel for every time i've been in a green room and said to my band i understand why musicians do drugs like right i, I am lucky that i have never been addicted to them and i have mm -hmm. really stayed away from hard drugs my whole career I'm not saying I haven't drunk here and there before sure. the shows like that helps for sure. But you get it's 4 p.m. and you're exhausted from two shows prior. Oh, yeah. and you're in a new city and it's sold out and you're in New York and you get all these tweets and Instagram posts like Brendan's live in New York tonight. I'm coming. Mm -hmm. I'm bringing six friends. This is my birthday. And you're exhausted and you're like, how am I going to give? How am I going to stay up? How am I going to give a performance? How am I going to be the rocks, the guy? Yeah. It's so understandable. People are probably offering, you know. Oh yeah. It's mm. all there. If you want it, it's so easy because you're in a different reality anyway. So yeah, it just, and that's also why you find musicians nowadays just being so healthy and mm -hmm. doing yoga and trying meditation and just saying, okay, how do I stay balanced to be great every night? You know? Yeah, I, I, mean, I wanted to hear about your influences too, and then we'll move on to the really cool story of, of how you wrote this album. But Dylan, Bob Dylan, of course, is one of my favorites. And I was at a show when I was very close to him, close up, and he, for his age, was looked pretty good. I mean, he was thin. Uh, I think he, he said he quit smoking. Wow. And I, I, I would imagine he would have to when you're in your 70s and you're touring around the world. They said he, at least now, I don't know about before, that he's very, very... Um, health conscious Mind because it, otherwise yeah. he couldn't do what he did what he does I mean, oh, yeah. every night every he, night all around the world. so who are some of yours like I, I think Bob Dylan is one of your oh definitely I mean how how, how can he not be right Let, I mean, let's be honest yeah, let's be honest if you're gonna write <laughs> words for your career yeah. then you're gonna you're gonna have Dylan up there in your top three I mean it, he's just the wordsmith and mm -hmm. he's also he's not just wordsmith for me he's been inspiring like he has inspired millions of other people yeah for his confidence and attitude, like he's the to right. Me, he's, he's like my just, guru on how to he's live. He's the guru. He's like the consummate stick your middle finger up to the world because mm -hmm. this is who I am. And anyway, that's I, I literally have for years had WWBDD written on my keyboard. So when I'm live, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, what would Bob Dylan do right now? As oh, that's cool. <laughs> what kind of confidence level can I have? Am I allow myself to? Yeah 
have a huge confidence right now and be my, the artist that I want to be. Exactly. Like, and there's, just, and there's such a mystique around him that there are numerous podcasts, of course, about him. <laughs> Who yeah, else? I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, oh my gosh. Paul Simon. Oh yeah. Um, Jeff Buckley. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I was just, when I was young, looking up at other musicians, I was like, I just want to emulate the very best of what I think of the craft. And you know, the way Jeff Buckley would perform and shape his phrasings and pick his mm-hmm. melodies and the risks he would take. And to this day, I'm working on how to take more risks because of the risks Jeff Buckley would take, you know? Yeah. And I think he's a little bit still underappreciated. He's sort of like a musician's musician. I know, I know he's I know. widely known and, and people love him, but it doesn't seem like he's as appreciated mainstream as he should be. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, Eva Cassidy comes to mind, another person who's who's now passed away. I, I'm kind of dark in this way. I love Nick Drake. Mm, maybe love him. Something about artists who don't live that long that there's this pain to them mm-hmm. that I've maybe gravitated towards. Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith. The same. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, that pain. Nick Drake. It just when I hear his music and there's that song he has, "Fig Tree," and fame is mm-hmm. but a fig tree. You know, it it just hits me so hard. Um, here's an artist literally suicidal and talking about how hard it is to try to compete amongst his fellow. I mean, Elton John was huge when Nick Drake is trying to break out. Like Mm -hmm. how do you compete with Elton John when you're Nick Drake? You know what I mean? Like, and the fame machine and all that. Like, so I got, yeah, I guess the cool thing about nowadays and Nick Drake didn't get to see this. You kind of don't have to, you can, you can build your own thing. It's so true. And I, I, so anyway, yeah, I, I love those guys, but I, uh, Coldplay was huge for me too. Chris Martin, his mm-hmm. writing style was huge, big influence for me. But I digress. Yeah, well, you, I love. Well, I was telling you before, and um, the song Barcelona has been in my head. Cool. Thank you for that, Barcelona. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful oh, album. Thanks. thanks. So you decided, and we'll hear about in 2018, was it? Yeah. I'm gonna sell my house in Charleston. I'm gonna take my two-year-old, my four-year-old, my wife, and I'm just gonna get on the road and write an album on my laptop, eat at grocery stores, go to playgrounds. Like what prompted you, which is so many people I think have this fantasy. What prompted you to actually do it? Man, uh, my wife and I just looked at each other, you know, a few days in the house we were living in and the neighborhood we were living in. And we're just like, what? we didn't think we, this would be us, like kind of a little too busy, Mm-hmm. bit too busy for our own good and the, yeah. the mortgage was a little high for our own good and then all of a sudden you have two cars and then you're yeah. paying for preschool and you're like holy shit we yeah. i didn't think this would be me how did we get here <laughs> how did we get here but yeah, that's what happens when you have two kids in yeah. the western world you just get exactly. there and we didn't like it i didn't like how it felt i didn't like the ho- i didn't like the fact that we were living in a house that the only way for us to actually feel proud of that house was to do a hundred thousand dollar renovation or something you know and i'm like yes screw this so my wife, she suggested it. She's like, well, let's just sell it and let's get a smaller house. But let's, if we can make some money on the sale, why don't we just travel for a while? If you're uninspired, which I was at the time, she's like, you're not writing much. You can just put touring off for six months, right? I'm like, uh, kind of, I mean, I, we can figure this out, you know, yeah, we'll, try that. Yeah. we'll figure it out. And then we just, we just made the decision to do it. And for anybody listening, who's like on the verge of making a big decision and just not sure, from my experience of doing this now, mm-hmm. I, I really say 
make the decision, make the scary decision, because I'll never forget waking up the next morning and being, and just saying, oh my gosh, our adventure already started. Like we're not going to get on the first flight for six months from now, but holy shit, we get to start planning right now. Like it's, my life has changed already the next morning. Just the anticipation. Just the decision, you know? And I'll, I'll never forget how exciting those first few months of planning were. When you when you were traveling, the, and we'll go to the places. Where, what did you guys do? RV or van or what? What were you traveling in? Just a combo, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. made the most sense. Usually, whatever was the most economically um, beneficial to us. But we we did it all. We did we did an RV through Iceland, which was like twenty six days or something. Only fifteen of which was in the RV, but that was so expensive. So here's here's what I have. Tell me if I'm missing anything. Holland. England, France, Italy, Croatia, Spain, Iceland, Rwanda, Thailand, New Zealand, and each country a minimum of 15 days. Avoided tourist attractions. Like I said, went to local playgrounds, shopped at grocery stores, cooked meals together. Um, any other, did I miss any countries? That, no, that was it. That was it. Um, and that was our real goal. We, we didn't set out to see anything which is funny mm-hmm. people can travel so differently and my wife which is why i love her i mean she just wanted to experience the smells and the sounds and the people and conversations we didn't have yes other than northern lights i swear to you we didn't have one city or um attraction that we mm-hmm. needed to see i just wanted to experience how it felt to stand in other places yeah, because a lot of times you you know I've had this experience. You go somewhere and you you have a, a week and you see all this stuff and then you're exhausted and stressed and can't actually really enjoy the place because you're too busy seeing you know the Eiffel Tower or whatever. You really immerse yourself in in the culture. I mean, I always try to put myself in someone else's shoes. Like, okay, if someone were going to come visit um, Charleston right now, mm-hmm. would I rather they go and make sure they see the market or? three beautiful churches or would mm-hmm. I love them to like dig into one of the parks that I go to and talk yep. to some of the friends that I meet there and just feel what it feels like to live in Charleston. So that's I much prefer of, the, the latter. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and that, and Barcelona, I'm, I'm jumping to it. It's just great a, song is I'm really proud of it, but I'm laughing because it was about a day that we did just the opposite. And mm-hmm. we didn't listen to our initial principles for the trip. And we thought, okay, well, we're in Barcelona. We, we should go sightsee. And we've got mm-hmm. to see what this architect, this designer, Anthony Gaudi was all about. And, mm-hmm. and we just hit pitfall after pitfall because of all the other tourists and the heat. And it was Milo's birthday. My two-year-old, my son was turning two. And there we were not even paying attention to him because we we're in lines. It's like, what are we doing? And I think it's a gift, by the way, to give to give your kids and and not just to, you know, whether just the maybe they don't remember, you know, each each day, but there's an experience of like being um, with these different people and different cultures and they're learning resilience and social range. And so how were they? I mean, they were two and four. I mean, how did that? Oh, my gosh. Was that rough? There was some rough times. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, we're talking 40% of the trip was, Mm -hmm. was challenging in that way, Mm -hmm. but we always laughed. We're like, this is what it would be at home. We just, but we'd be in a grind and we'd be trying to balance careers with this. So sure. There's going to be hard moments, but just, uh, what someone said once, you know, yeah. Vacation, just yelling at my kids in a different place. (laughs) Totally, totally, totally. But, but yeah, I mean, they, they did amazingly. 
a, a really good example that comes to my mind when, you know, when I hear that is my daughter's favorite place ended up being Rwanda. Mm. We truthfully, we weren't able to do very much in Rwanda because of some of the restrictions and some of the money that it would have taken to take the excursions that, you know, we could have taken. And I didn't really want to do the Westerner in Africa excursions. I, anyway, but so she didn't do much for those 16 days. We were in a great spot and the people she met and the staff of where we were staying and the locals that were coming in and out, Mm -hmm. they were so good to the kids and so much love for them that that ended up being her favorite right. place. That's what yes, I wanted. Yes, you remember to the, yes. the connections with the people. The people, mm-hmm. like that. literally there was two security guards that were working near where we were staying and they played little soccer with, with a little soccer ball with the kids every single day. Wow. And it was Miss Jackie and Mr. David and Penny still talks about them and it's two years ago. And she's not talking about the fact that we saw yeah. Stonehenge or something. You know what I mean? Right. It's these special little experiences. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I remember we were in like Montreal with my kids and they were real young. And the, the thing they remember is the waiter at this pizza restaurant that was like, kept talking right. to them. You know, I remember that guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we have a picture of him. It's like, of all the things you remember that one, exactly. one random guy that that's. And, and so, I mean, and you, the, the other thing we should point out is you actually, you weren't just on vacation. You wrote an album. I, which I didn't really expect to do. I, I'm so glad, but I had not yeah. been inspired for at least a year, if not two, before this trip. Mm-hmm. And I was admittedly just giving a lot to parenting and mm-hmm. couldn't find those long windows of time to create. And then here I am on this trip where my kids would go to bed around nine. Mm-hmm. My wife would either just kind of be chilling out, drinking wine, or she'd fall asleep early with them. And there I was with a laptop and time. And I think is really cool because I think a lot of artists would be like, this is not inspiring being with my kids and wife 24 seven, but it's just, it was like the opposite. Well, totally. Cause think of what my priorities were. My priorities mm-hmm. were keep everyone safe, have a great day. Okay. Everyone's sleeping. Uh, I'm not thinking of anything else that and that's mm-hmm. key for an artist. As I found to put yourself in places where you really, which is hard by the way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm try to put yourself on retreats for two or three weeks where you really can say, Hey world, I can't think about you for a second. Other responsibilities. I do have to listen to this creative side. And I was able to. Do you have any practices to get there or just, just being in a particular, or did you just have to wait for the muse to show up or do you, let's say yoga, meditation, any, any, anything like that? I don't know. I don't have any tricks. I did. I, my method for me is, if I'm happy in my life and if I'm living the rest of my life well, then the muse finds mm-hmm. me. And oh, that's I'm, nice. And so if I can focus on doing the things that I do to be proud of myself, whether it's just being a good husband, being a good dad, having some friendships that I'm proud of and, and just kind of when I'm starting to skip along through life and everything's cool for a month or two, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I, I want to write right now. It's, so I've always found that correlation. How, how long were you guys out on the road? For this, um, it was six months. Six months, right? Yeah, and you got back, and the album just came out, right? October twentieth. Yeah. Finally dropped. Um, mm-hmm. it took about a, it took about sixteen months to make it. Um, and that was, you know, with COVID starting too, it definitely hit us. Like we were almost finished, and had a whole bunch of Kickstarter backers who were ready for the album in April. And we all know, we all know what happened this year. Yeah. yeah so you waited a little longer, and now it's out. And- yeah. what um are you are you doing any private shows or zoom shows or how's that how's that going what a what a what a new world um yeah. 
I'm trying to do a few private shows. I have two private shows this weekend in North Carolina, actually, mm -hmm. um, small shows. And I've done about five of those this year and five streaming shows. So I'm, I'm looking at like 10 oh, performances. Yeah. I usually do 80 performances, but 10 have helped. Yeah. Me. My fans have been amazing. And I'm so, I'm so grateful from the bottom of my heart. They've been tipping me at all these shows and they just Good. like, they just know, you know, they just are like, let me help. So. Yeah. I, it's the thing I miss the most is going to a live show. I've seen some virtual things and it's great. And I always want to support artists that I love, but there's the energy of being with other people. Yeah. Right. Seeing the artist perform in front of me and people ask like, what do you miss the most? It, it, we don't eat in restaurants. Um, we'll get carry out, but, and, and I miss that, but I, I really miss the communal experience of seeing live music and see, there's nothing like it. And I just can't wait for this thing to be over so I can see artists Ugh. live again. We just played a show in California two weeks ago, a backyard show. Mm. And it was one of the only ones that I've done that's just live this year. And I'm telling you, we turned on the PA people were milling about there's like 30 people there and they're talking to their friends and we were just doing a quick sound check. And once we dialed the settings in and we turned those speakers up and I started yeah. to sing, hearing my own voice through this PA and then everyone stopped and just kind of looked at the stage like, what was that? Like mm. it, it, the feeling through speakers when you're around other people is who knew that it was this special to humanity? I don't think people even knew, myself included, how mm. special it was to, to do that. No, it's like going to church. It's like this. Yeah. At least for, I mean, at least for someone like me who just thinks this is this primal experience for, for people. Um, and, and, and I'm sure I know some comedians are doing like in New York city stuff in the park. And then, and I know there have been live shows. I know there's like a drive in movies, but it's still for me, not the same. Cause we're like worried about totally. keeping our distance and wearing masks. And it's just, it's not, I don't know. I kind of only miss the smell of beer in the air. I miss you know, like chaos, chaos and people around me chaos. and the stimulation and the whole, when you go to the show, there's something about like going in the parking lot, you know, like I said, and, uh, you know, buying a grilled cheese, you know, for people who like that scene um, and just yeah. walking around, just feel just the smells, the sights, the sounds, the whole thing. We are, we are like energetic beings mm -hmm. and we, we literally sustain and, are made better by moments around others that we can't control and electrons bouncing between us. And there's none of that right now. We are these boring, predictable beings right now because we have to be, I mean, it's crazy. What, um, <sighs> you know, this is the authentic dad podcast. What if, do you have any, like, um, let's say someone who's a, a creative at heart and has got the, um, got the, got, got the family and, do you have any advice on how to kind of be or live a creative life and integrate? Cause someone who wants both, which is a beautiful thing to have a beautiful family. And also sometimes as we talked about hard to integrate, let's say they're uh, want to write a book or be an artist. Like, is there any, no, you said there's no tricks. Like how do you integrate it? Cause it looks like you're holding both balls pretty darn successfully at the same time. And, um, I don't know if there's a clear answer to that, but what, what do you do? Cause it sounds like you wow. kind of have a, you've, you've worked this out where a lot of people haven't. 
I don't exactly know how to answer that, but yeah. I'm, 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 I have so many things I want to say. One thing is that, is that what I would like to say to my younger self, who was really conflicted by what you just said. Yeah. And when I was 27, it was probably the hardest time of my life to figure out how the hell I was going to do this. Both were so important. Both were equally important to me. Um, and what I would tell my younger self is take a deep breath. Don't stress. Just do your best at each and realize you have to make sacrifices on each one and just decide what those limits are. Decide what the sacrifices are and just stick to it and you'll have time. It's going to take you a little longer than someone who could just pursue art 100%. Right. But in that time, you're going to write richer things and you're going to have more to offer if you have a full life with your artistry. So just don't be so damn hard on yourself for not being able to hit one so hard, you know, like. It's a beautiful answer. I think it doesn't have to be one way or the other. Right. It doesn't. And, and I always thought it did. And I was around people, teammates of mine in of the music industry who thought it had to be one sided and. Then you get around the woman you love and your friends and they sort of thought it had to be one-sided, you know, leaning that way. And mm -hmm. there I was in the middle. Yeah. And I, I don't even think it's just in the arts. I mean, even I'm an attorney by trade and even like if totally, and even in that world, it's like, why are you not at your office? Why are you taking a walk with your kids? <laughs> it's like, right. re really, man? Like, the, you so know, and I work for so myself. It's my thing. Just like it's, and it, it, that is the best thing I ever did because you know, you, you own it, man. Nobody's telling you, you what to do or how many shows to, or I hope not how many shows to perform or how many albums to crank out or why are you, you know, doing this or that? So. No, you're exactly right. And it's beautiful, not, not exclusive to artistry to being an artist or a musician. It's not at all. It's every person's struggle, every man and woman. To, it's American. To, the balance to, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very Western to try to figure it out, but Yes, it's. I could talk about it forever. I mean, it's. What um is your wife in the arts or what? What's she's a gallery director, an art gallery. Director. Oh right, she. That's how you met, right? She was a gallery. Yeah. Yes, so she is. Yeah. She's in the she's... arts, but she's yeah. She does doesn't consider herself an artist. Um, mm -hmm. but clearly she, she's, she's made, in the world. She's made to be around artists. She does. Yes. So we we need her. We basically. Yeah. No, that's really cool. Is um. Great, because that's how you met, right? She was doing the gallery. That's how you got yeah. to Charleston. Aha. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, but she's her own thing. I mean, she's from Northern California. She's one awesome person. I'll tell you that. She's she's amazing. We'll have her on. <laughs> yeah, she should be on next to me next time. Although she, should. she wouldn't want to talk much and she'd be like, oh. It's awfully quiet there. I guess your, your kids are somewhere else. Um. Yeah, my kids are one's at school and one is being watched by a friend because I'm have a studio session today. So, mm -hmm. well, what I mean, what anything else that you think I don't I want it, that we should that you want to say? I like this quote. I think this was might have been on your website. Um, you say what what I hope to do is calm, strengthen, and transport my listeners to a better self, and turn, and in turn maybe I get there too as he means it, penning songs on the topics of love, optimism, political, and adventuring aimlessly through the natural world. He's left no stone unturned in his sixth studio album, and I've only begun. I think that's a, a, a beautiful quote. Like, what? Um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, you know, I think 
art in general, I, I don't want to just say it's exclusive to me. Mm -hmm. I, this is the only experience I have is my own. And I have felt like I am a mix of broken, but also confident enough to just talk about the brokenness mm -hmm. to almost the nth degree. And it, that can make for some really honest art. And I, so I, I want to help people with my art, but by no way do I feel like I have arrived and I am fine. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just able to, to just discuss it and say, Hey, this is what happened to me and I'm broken. So let's try to get somewhere <laughs> together. People who are like, this is my working theory. I'm sure it's possible, but like the very wholesome, most well-adjusted who had the beautiful, you know, I'm sure everyone has problems in their childhood, but when they get the most love in the world, they don't make for very, not, and I'm sure they make for very good something else, right. but I don't find them making very good like comedians or musicians yeah. or poets. It's like, you gotta, I think, I mean, come on, you gotta have some pain and you know, it's, they, they, they're, plenty other professions but i but i think there has to be some brokenness um that's where it comes from and i'm, I'm sticking with that no, i'm, I'm I, sure I'm, I'm sure there are artists who aren't broken or, or have you know a lot but eh, i don't know i absolutely agree i'm skeptical it, it, i'm totally on the same page with you i mean what that's and actually most of my circle of friends are yes quite broken but awesome people <laughs> you know <laughs> that's just who i'm attracted yeah, to no, i think most you know, that's and my kids are like, man, what's wrong with all your friends? Like, mm, <laughs> that's who I'm attracted to. That's who's attracted to me. I don't oh. know what to say. Um, oh you know, I in some ways I, I'm doing this and became a coach to sort of, I don't want to say fix, but I've had I had I went through the journey. I went through the you know I'm I'm, I'm not done, but. Who's to say what the hell is broken or unbroken? Yeah, anyway? it's probably not the right word. Yeah. No, I'm I'm guilty of using yeah. it too. Like, I consider myself broken, but everybody's mm -hmm. broken by something. I mean, you know. yeah. Well, maybe maybe the better way of saying pe people who have um, their shadow has been expressed, and they're they're, yeah. they're learning how to deal with that, integrate that, and totally so on totally. and so forth. Do you um, uh, read any particular types of of like books or? what what inspires you besides staring at the walls um any particular and music books or is it just like you said you just kind of have to wait i read a lot i'm not reading a lot these days to be honest yeah. i'm halfway through a book called the over story which is mm -hmm. awesome um it's basically a book about the power of trees and um, oh. plant life but it's just a just a beautiful book um yeah. But I'm not reading a lot right now, and I'm worried mm -hmm. about that. Um, mm -hmm. When I was younger, to become the artist I am and the person I am, I was reading all the time, and I was living in New York City and riding subways and just reading the biggest books I could get my hands on. And to this day, I feel like Emerson and Dumas, oh, yeah. and I feel like um, I was reading Umberto Eco, and I was reading mm -hmm. Khalil Gibran. It's just I have a tattoo of Khalil Gibran. Oh no way! The the prophet is was it was a guiding kind of a yes touchstone in my life so i think when i was in 10th grade we read siddhartha that was like a that was like the bat to the head it's like what the hell is right? this yes. that's i think that I, the point that i was like the first book that was like what is this yeah. and it just opened up everything yeah um when things fall, fall apart I love that book mm -hmm. anyway the, i i'm just i think when i my children are a little bit older or something i'm gonna have my brain's gonna open up a bit mm -hmm. the taught the toddler age right now i definitely don't when yeah. it's 9 30 at night i'm not like oh no what book can i crack open no 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 
you know, I'm like, oh, I need to oh, work on my career. Especially now. Fall asleep. Well, I want to let you go to your session. I don't want to take up too much of your time, and I appreciate I it. This was very exciting when oh. I knew that you were going to do this. Uh, I was not familiar. Now I am very familiar. Now my oh, family is familiar. I hope you guys come. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. Hope you come through D.C. or Baltimore real soon. And um, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to book so a tour kind. for the fall of 2021. If it can actually happen, I'll play uh -huh. a, a great venue in Vienna, Virginia. That'd be like a 35, 40 minute drive for you. But um, one of my which one? It's called Jam and Java. Yeah, Jam and Java, of course. Okay, you know it. Legendary yeah, I, around here. I've played there for a decade and since Jeff's had some cool. Great yeah, Jam and I know it well. Cool. Yeah, there's a lot of ones, but yeah, we will we will be there. Let us Please know. Please come, and then we'll do another. I'll come on the show again whenever you want. I would love it. I'm, I'm down. No, yeah, no, it's it's such a treat to to and and thank you for what you do. It's very important music, and you're a great dad and a great husband. Pretty rare. Thanks, man. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Cool. I appreciate it. Well, good luck today with your. Uh, with your session. I hope, I hope the, the great unknown, the muse comes through. I'm feeling good today. I think surrender good. to the flow. It's you, it's, you know, it's cliche, but those are all yeah, the things. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but it's also true, right? No, it also yeah. is. I'm going to walk yeah. up there and just take some deep breaths and hope it mm -hmm. finds me. Okay. All right. Well, have a great day in Charleston. Okay. See I you. so appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. And there you have it. That was Brendan James such a cool person and great conversation i really enjoyed it check out his album and i hope once this covid thing is over i get to see him live at the jam and java or wherever he may be around in town please consider giving us a five-star review it does help it helps people find it because there's so many podcasts and they're hard to find um, unless you have a whole bunch of reviews and hopefully a five-star review. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope everyone has a wonderful holiday and a happy new year. And we will talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs>